Welcome to the Weekly Warrior Podcast, where we are forging genuine human connection through fitness, health, mindset, and nutrition. Let's get to the show with your hosts, Jared Bradford, Connor Edelbrock, and Corey Mueller. We're going to start off today's episode with a little mouth ASMR. No, we're not. (laughs) I've been here before. I don't want to go back. (laughs) This has been our most requested section back uh, live in action. Maybe we should go through our sponsors. (laughs) Uh, We're sponsored by (laughs) mouthASMR.com. It's a whole, whole, I got a whole website now. Not they're just not on a, YouTube. They're not officially our sponsors yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, I believe after Saturday, if well, if you agree to the partnership, I didn't. I didn't hear anything from you about it, so I didn't know what you felt. How you felt about it? I was too busy listening to it, but I'm on board. Yeah, I'm on board. They have a really good gum chewing section too. Just get real close and just let it rip. You know, just I love a good gum chew. You know, just a good chew. Good. Are you chewing gum right now? Yeah. Can you tell? Can you get a little closer? I'm not professional, so I don't want to like try to step on toes. Do you think that these people on YouTube are professional mouth ASMR people, or do they just probably some of them? Into yeah. the, they just put up. They get their their cereal and their milk, and it's a fairly natural thing chewing. So I think that a lot of people are just naturally professional. I'm sure there's some professionals out there that somehow before YouTube was a thing that did this. Cool, 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 cool. You smoking a bong? Is that a bong? No, man, it's a mason jar full of water. Sure it is, dude. I guess you'll have to go on YouTube to see if it's a fucking bong. It looks like a bong. (laughs) Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Warrior Podcast. I'm joined by the wonderful, manly, Stop with that. and such a beautiful mustache, Bones. What's hey, going on, pal? Not much. Just chilling here in, in beautiful California. Now in California, there are a lot of meat farms out there. We have a lot of avocados and nuts and stuff. Not a lot of meat farms. There are a lot of nuts in California. Talking one right now. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> are you ready? For this yeah. week's Warrior Knowledge Nugget. Yeah. Is this a nugget or is this the whole damn thing? This is just a nugget, boy. Well, this is a weird segue from meat farms to nugget, but just, right, let's do it. We're getting there. Just you wait. Okay. So this week's Knowledge Nugget is brought to you by meat farmers everywhere. Great. We're going to be talking about bone marrow bones. So the last time we did a Knowledge Nugget, we talked about bone broth, which is a byproduct of... You know, boiling carcasses and bones and whatnot. Part of those bones is the bone marrow. And lately, Connor and I have been getting on the bone marrow train a little bit. And it took a little bit of, uh, like, I knew about bone marrow. I knew it was good and whatever, but it kind of, like, was weird. You know, it's like you're sucking the, the juice out of the, out of the bones, right? Yeah, you know about it, but it's weird. It's a li- it was a little weird. So... We just dove right in. I bought, we bought some bone marrow from Apsy Farms, our local meat provider, and they were canoe cut like femur bones, 
and I roasted them 20 minutes at 450 with a little salt sprinkled on them and scooped it out with a spoon <clears throat> and ate it. And that was, that was pretty cool. So what is a femur bone and you cook a femur? What, what, what are we talking about here? Yeah. So femur bone is like leg. Well, I got my arm here, but leg, whatever the, this part of your, your leg and you cut it and then you canoe cut it. So you yeah. take the bone and then you cut it in half. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you a little about bone marrow bones. Bone marrow has been consumed by humans since before recorded time. Uh, legend has it that humans were pretty much natural scavengers uh, in the early, you know, Neanderthal times. They didn't have a lot of hunting tools. We don't have sharp fangs. We don't have sharp claws. We, I mean, realistically, not great at hunting until we developed the tools to do so. The scavenging. Humans would find bones, and they would, you know, be doing whatever they were doing to them. They'd break them open. There's bone marrow, and they started eating it. Wait a and minute. Okay, did they know what it was, though? Or they're like, oh, juice. I think it's just, it's a heavily nutrient-dense food, and I'm going to get okay. into that. But, so, all right. scientists believe that the, the consumption of bone marrow and bone marrow-like products, uh, it was likely the rocket fuel that provided the insane speed of, like, human's brain growth um because in a matter of i don't know 10,000 years we became arguably the smartest species on the planet um and part of that is doing due to consuming foods like this so bone marrow has experienced a resurgence in the last few years um i didn't hear anything about this really until probably like 6 months ago I started seeing this guy on YouTube or on uh, Instagram. His name's Liver King, and he's eating all this raw shit. He's eating raw eggs and he's eating like raw salmon eggs and I mean bone marrow, liver, all the I mean all these organ meats. And I started getting interested in it. I talked to Kyle Apsy, who does he's the Apsy Farms guy. And I was like, "What's the deal with bone marrow?" And he started telling me about it. So. Here's what I know about bone marrow. Bone marrow is a truly badass source of like collagen, which is a building block of our connective tissue. And so that what it means is it supports healthy skin, bones, and like I said, connecting or our connective tissue. Bone marrow is also high in saturated fats, which is good for the mitochondria boosting components like stateric and oleic acid. It contains multiple types of B vitamins, such as B1, B5, and B7 vitamins. So what is all this good for? Body composition. Uh, it's a very nutrient-dense fat source. Increased immunities, healthier skin, stronger joints, and reduced inflammation are some of the benefits that you might gain from eating bone marrow. Mm -hmm. And you might be wondering, bones, listeners, you might be wondering, how do you eat bone marrow? I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of different ways. There's no wrong way to do it. I started off, we roasted it at about 425 for 20 minutes with a little salt sprinkled on it, and you just eat it. I mean, you can just eat it right off, right out of the femur bone. You can scoop it right out. Or you can eat it raw, which I experienced my first raw bone marrow last night. And I got to say, it was delicious. We had, uh, so we've been doing our own sourdough bread. And when we don't make the bread, you have to use the starter or you have to throw it away. So we started making a little sourdough pancake. So you 
basically take the sourdough out of the jar, plop it in the pan, cook it up. It makes like a really nice uh, sourdough on steroids, basically, because there's nothing watering it down. It's just straight up fermented dough. So I took the bone marrow right out of the bone and spread it on there. And it was like the essence of beef. And mm. it was delicious. So I don't know as far as long-term benefits. I haven't experienced any, obviously, because I just started this sort of experiment. But we have been moving into eating a little bit more nose to tail. We're eating more liver. We're trying to eat organ meats. It's been an interesting transition. But um, there's a lot of proof, scientific benefits to it that are proven. So, hmm. Well, long term, long term, t- in 10,000 years, we'll have bigger brains. <laughs> we'll be even smarter. That's your, that's your G-dang long term results. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, my, my, uh, my question, like back in and how did we make it out of those times as the dominant species but we didn't know like do you think we just ate for yumminess back then ten thousand years ago because you gotta like split open the bone and be like mm, jello or what a juice whatever it is and just eat it up they're not like oh nutrients no absolutely not i think you've probably read stories about people who have been like stranded in the wilderness and the things that they'll eat because Art. they're starving yeah like bark soup we're gonna make bark soup um and you come across here's a here's a woolly mammoth that's been slaughtered already and maybe decayed or or whatever they're gonna pick through whatever's left and there's gonna be a a bunch of bones left so and you you gotta think too like when you give your dog i don't know if your dogs eat the big uh cow bones they're like you know real large they got the knuckles on both sides. I believe yeah, they're I prefer to give them well. big bison bones. I prefer to give them those. Well, yeah, same. Yeah, same idea. They're huge. <laughs> they're about the same size as your yeah. dog. So yeah, bigger animals eat the marrow out. They, that's what they go for immediately. Hmm. So maybe I, I mean, I the marrow is no more preserved too. With that, uh, your point about the de- de- decaying animal yeah. marrow could be preserved inside the bone. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. And marrow is interesting too because it's so dense. It's about ninety-seven percent fat, um, mm. and three percent protein. There's basically no carbohydrates in it, um, so it's it's a very fat dense food. Which mm. in survival situations, as we've learned from watching shows like Alone, and we know how the body works when the body burns fat. Yeah, um, you need it. And so with those fat sources available. Why wouldn't you be sucking it out of every bone you could come across? <laughs> yeah. And today's fats are day, good. Yeah. yeah, fats are great. And this is a very, especially if you're getting it from a high-quality source, it's a good fat source. Um, most of the time these days, you're getting, if you're eating bone marrow, you're eating from large animals like, you know, large cervids like, you know, caribou and elk or cows and bison and stuff like that. There's your bong again. Yeah, that's the bong. So that is this week's Knowledge Nugget. You can find bone marrow, like you go to a butcher shop, chances are they'll probably have some femur bones left over or, a, you know, like a like a cow farm. We get ours from Apsi Farms. They keep mm-hmm. all of the cuts, and so you can buy them from there. We typically get, I think we get like five marrow bones for about $18, and you can buy them online too. There's good, like, grass-fed sources of, you know, bone marrow bones online as well. You can have delivered straight to your door. Well, it's easy as that. It's literally easy as that. Click of a button. Yep, click of a Do button. Do you hate hunting and scavenging for old <laughs> decaying animals? 
Do you want to get as far away from your ancestry as possible? <laughs> Download DoorDash. Yeah, yeah, right. DoorDash will bring you bone marrow and liver. <laughs> so, yeah. Great. You ready for your story today, buddy? Man, yeah. Treat me like a child. All right. Well, this isn't a story for children. Well, that's odd. I'll talk to you later, then. <laughs> We're going to be talking about Guy, who was famous, who was made famous in World War II. His name was George Smith Patton Jr. You ever heard of General George Patton Bones? God. Yeah. You have? Yeah, yeah, I've heard of Patton. Good for you. Yeah, my grandpa told me all about him. You're <laughs> good. <laughs> he was a he was an American hero. <laughs> I grew up also. My my dad was a big Patton fan. You know, the American hero. We watched the Patton movie from 1970. George C. Scott, brilliant. One of my favorite movies. And I've always been interested in his history. So. He's a great American figure, and we're going to learn about him today. Can I think, can I know, all right, I'll, I'll let you go, yeah. No, go ahead, say what you want to say. He was a dick, wasn't he? He was a little, he was a little bit of a dick. I mean, you don't get to the top of the U.S. Army and not be kind of a dick. That's the thing, though, he never reached the top. Okay. Um, and part of that, we're going to talk about, but part of that, he just completely lacked all tact. He had no political sense. He was very brash, but he was brilliant. So. Okay. He didn't reach the top because he didn't know how to play the game. But in a lot of ways, it can be said that, I mean, he was instrumental in us winning World War II. Okay. Let's fucking roll. So in 1944, before the landings in Normandy, he gave a speech to his newly formed Third Army. So it was a complete new army group, very inexperienced troops. And so he gave one of the most famous speeches uh, in U.S. military history. And a lot of people who are into this type of history feel like this speech is one of the greatest motivational speeches of all time. It is extremely profane, and it is extremely violent at parts. I picked out an excerpt that I thought was more appropriate, but gave a good sense of who he was. So, let's see. Let me, uh, let me get back to my notes here and, <laughs> and read it. It is, it is definitely awesome. They, they put pen to paper for this, huh? Was this private speech or is this uh No, he gave it to the whole army group. Um uh, he gave it to his whole army okay. group, which apparently the the troops responded super well to it. They loved him. He wasn't like the the news the general public wasn't a huge fan of his cuz he was so brash, but like his soldiers were I mean, they'd walk through fire for him. So, okay. Here we here we go. <clears throat> I don't want any messages saying I'm holding my position. We're not holding a goddamn thing. We're advancing constantly and we're not interested in holding anything except the enemy's balls. We're gonna hold him by the balls and we're gonna kick him in the ass. Twist his balls and kick the living shit out of him all the time. Our plan of operation is to advance and keep on advancing. We're gonna go through the enemy like shit through a tin horn. Sounds like Dan Campbell. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna bite your ankles. Rah, rah. I'll grab your balls. We're gonna twist them. 
That was pretty rousing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Then the and the whole speech. So in the movie in 1970, the speech was shortened a little bit and censored a little bit uh, because it was so profane. No, oh, they actually put it in the movie. Word like some word for words. Some word for word, but most of it was not word for okay. word. It was the same idea, the same gist. After reading the real speech and then obviously yeah. knowing the movie, yeah, same idea. Okay. So that's kind of the guy he was. He was always on the offensive. He was not about weakness. He hated cowardice, all of these things. We're going to start at the beginning, though. George Patton, more commonly referred to as Old Blood and Guts, was born on November 11, 1885, <laughs> in San Gabriel, California. Hell of an intro for an infant. Well, yeah. Uh, old Blood and Guts. <laughs> <laughs> Every, every, you ever think about it? every horrible thing or like crazy person was a, just a crying ass infant at one time. At one point. Yeah. Okay. It's like the, uh, the scene in Avengers Endgame when they're talking about going back in time and, mm-hmm. uh, Don Cheadle, his character was like, why can't we just go back to when Thanos was a baby? And like, you know, yeah. And it's like, yeah, I mean, baby. Well, yeah, that's, that's a big, that's a big, uh, moral, moral or ethical dilemma, right? right. Like if you, if you go back and kill Hitler, would you do it? You know, in some alternate universe, Hitler might have been, you know, he might have cured cancer, you know, so who knows? Well, yeah, <laughs> that was their argument in Endgame. All right. I'm just like, they can't go back and kill Thanos because it would change the timelines too much. Oh, and it okay. would, Yeah, I don't. Anyway. Okay. Well, Hitler, Thanos, you know. Yeah, right. Back to Patton. Uh, so he was born into a wealthy family and enjoyed a highly priv- privileged lifestyle. Uh, he, Patton struggled with what was rumored to be undiagnosed dyslexia. So he struggled to read, he struggled to write, couldn't, couldn't, he just wasn't good at learning, um, until he was about 11 years old. So he started his formal education at 11. And at that time, and you know, in the, in the years after he became a voracious reader, uh, he eventually became a published author as well on numerous articles on military subjects, obviously. Uh, he loved ancient Roman literature. He liked Shakespeare. I mean, all, he was really well-versed in some of these classic, uh, especially military doctrines. So a lot of people say that's why he was so good at what he did. Like I said, Patton particularly enjoyed military history. His grandfather and great-uncle had been killed in fighting in the Civil War. They were fought on the side of the Confederacy. So he felt a really deep, route uh to combat and to mili- the military and the sense of honor that came along with those things so as he got older Patton spent a year at the virginia military institute but ended up transferring to the military academy at west point where he because of poor grades was forced to repeat his freshman year he did end up graduating in 1909 isn't it interesting uh we talked about tesla and he struggled in college too he didn't even graduate Mm-hmm. Brilliant, brilliant guy, as we know. No, it's like they don't want free thinkers or something. I don't know. I mean, yeah, do the book you, work and stuff you don't type conform. Of thing. Yeah, you don't do the book work. Dude, you don't get the book. That's learning. crazy. I I had a I had a a professor in in college, and he basically talked about the different types of people: conformists versus free thinkers. I don't know if that's the word he used, but anything mm-hmm. like that. There was like four different ones. One was conformist. Someone else was like an isolationist, a free thinker, and then like a rogue. These are the different people in life. Yeah. I was like, he was like, all of you in this room are conformists because you're in college. <laughs> and I was like, oh, fuck. 
fuck. Damn. <laughs> get out of here. I it changed majors because I changed majors majors because of that. I was criminal justice, and I was like, dude, I can't do this. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so you went to conform you, to a different. Yeah, I just conformed <laughs> to something something different. I conformed to something more comfortable to my right. my yeah. feels. I forgot you were doing the criminal justice major, but yeah, I find that interesting when you look at uh, figures like Patton, like Tesla, people who were overachievers in history. They tended to not follow the you know follow the crowd, which I mean, shit, that's the way to do it. Makes them stand out. Makes yeah. them stand out. So he did graduate, though, in 1909, and he was Great. commissioned as a second lieutenant in the United States Cavalry. Uh, upon, after that, he married Beatrice Banning Ayer, who was the daughter of the Boston industrial tycoon Frederick Ayer. Oh. So this guy is already rich. Uh, his family's very rich. Got a very privileged, privileged lifestyle. Went to West Point, which is a very esteemed military academy. And then he marries into... Also, an extremely wealthy family. So, on the on the personal front, killing it, killing it. Just well, there, was it true love? Do they love each other? Honestly, I don't it know. Was much. It like you had money, <laughs> it had was money? an arranged marriage. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't do much research into his marriage. Okay. Well, right. I just I don't really know. Yeah, it's irrelevant. Yeah, kind of kind of relevant. In 1912, Patton was selected to represent the United States at the Olympic Games in Stockholm, Sweden. Cool. He competed in the modern pentathlon, which included swimming, pistol shooting, running, fencing, and riding. Out of, out of 42 athletes, he came in fifth. So That's pretty cool. Yeah, pretty good athlete. Pretty good athlete. That's all one event. Yeah, that's like the, the, whole, the whole shebang is that one cool. thing. So he was a huge competitor in many sports and reportedly suffered multiple head injuries, which allegedly contributed to some of his erratic behavior, mm. which uh, Patton was well known for his fiery and, like I said, brash personality. So he saw his first combat in 1916. Who do you think invaded America in 1916? What, that World War? What, that Korean War? <laughs> Gulf War? No. Hmm. Well, shit. I know Afghanistan doesn't got a long-range bombers. Oh, man. That's World War One, right? So it would have been who invaded the United States in World yeah. War One? Yeah. Or, or in 1916? So yeah. Mexico? It was Mexico. So, yeah. But it wasn't the Mexican government, allegedly. There's no proof that they did or didn't. There was proof that the Germans were attempting to coerce the Mexican government into oh, invading yeah. uh, okay. the United States, but they, they, couldn't, they couldn't make them do it. So it was a Mexican bandit known as Pancho Villa. He led an attack <laughs> on the border town of Columbus, New Mexico in 1916. So mm -hmm. Patton went down and he had, he had a regiment or whatever. Of, this was the first time the United States, United States used uh, motorized vehicles in some in any type of military action up to that point, like a major one like that. So they went down and did what they had to do. They fought the battle and they ended up actually driving they led an insurgency into Mexico to try to capture Pancho Villa. Um which was unsuccessful. They did they killed a couple of his his bandito friends, but uh mm -hmm. they didn't get him himself. So interesting little tidbit though that he led a insurrection into or an incursion into Mexico. 
So World War One, the United States entered World War One in 1917. Patton reported to France in 1917 to become the first officer in the newly debuted U.S. Army Tank Corps. Now I find this interesting. Now just roll with me on this. So in 1917, tanks. I mean, World War One is when tanks started to be a thing, and nobody had ever seen anything like it. They're these behemoth you know, steel things that roam across the battlefield with guns coming out of every little corner. While Donald Trump was president, he started the Space Force. I'm thinking, like, what are the parallels here? Tanks? Oh. Like, when you see a tank on a battlefield, it's like, oh, like, the reports are just nuts about what tanks were like on the battlefield. Yeah. And now I think maybe there's some parallels here between the tank corps and the Space Force. Who knows? No, they're, at they're the, time, the same thing. At the, I mean, at the time, everyone's like, oh, tanks. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Horses are better. Horses are way better. I was going to say, the first tank uh, used in war was uh, Teddy Roosevelt on a horse. (laughs) Yes. Yes, so, yes. I mean, I would agree with the point that, yeah, horses are probably better tanks. If you have Teddy Roosevelt on it, at least. Yeah. yeah. Right. But I just thought that was interesting. I was, I was reading that, and I, I thought to myself, man, I bet there was a lot of doubt for this new technology mm-hmm. and this new branch of the military. I see what you're trying to do. Yeah, I'll roll with you on that. So let's, let's spin down that fucking alley. They had proof that tanks were there because they had tanks at that point, right? Very, yeah, very, very... Yeah, we actually don't have a Space Force. It's not... It is a real branch of the military. Yeah, but we're not doing anything. <laughs> we don't they're have... not in space, like, yeah. having fighting guns. and they don't have, There's nothing... There's no military... As far as we know, maybe there right. is. There's no ISS with uh, space guns up there and stuff, you know? It's, like, it's <laughs> just got... like an idea. It's, it's on paper. They got cannons bristling out of the... <laughs> they got cannons bristling out of the International Space Station now. Yeah. Space cannons. But anyway, I just thought it was interesting thinking, you know, 100 years ago when tanks, yeah. when the tank force, it could be, I don't know, it could be the same thing. Who knows? It could be it revolutionary. Could be. Yeah, sure. September 12th, 1918, Patton ignored direct orders to remain in radio contact and personally led the first U.S. tank units into battle during the Saint-Mihil the Offensive. Patton was later wounded during the Meuse-Argonne Offensive and was awarded the Distinguished Service Cross for Bravery Under Fire. He was wounded. He was shot through the shoulder and mm. refused to come off the line. So he, he sat in a foxhole commanding his 
troops and refused to be pulled back to the aid station until he was able to be properly relieved of duty, which meant reporting to the next commanding officer, you know, what was going on and giving that proper military, you know, transition, which I thought was interesting. So we're going to fast forward now. Okay. To 1941. After two years of uncertain neutrality, America was attacked by Japan at Pearl Harbor, which then led us into World War II. Patton organized the Desert Training Center near Indio, California, to simulate combat maneuvers and conditions in the North, Amer- North African climate. So at that time, Germany, the Nazis, uh, controlled most of North Africa. General Erwin Rommel was Patton's biggest rival, and he was uh, a German tank general. And he was brilliant. I mean, Rommel was, he couldn't be stopped. He was, he was unstoppable. Nobody could stop him. He was the most unstoppable person I, general I know. Patton took that as a personal challenge. So he went to Africa. He led a successful landing at Casablanca, which is in northern Africa, in November of 1942. He proceeded to lead the U.S. 7th Army into Sicily, which captured Palermo and Messina in the summer of 1943. He essentially kicked Rommel out of North Africa, made the Germans decide North Africa is no longer under our control, and then invaded Italy and basically liberated Italy as well. Um, He was the main spearhead with that. All of that happening, his crowning achievement is yet to come. The crowning achievement of Patton's life occurred in 1944 and he took the newly formed and vastly inexperienced Third Army across to northern France in the summer of 1944, so the Normandy landings. And something Mm. interesting about Patton's involvement with the D-Day landings, so the Allies devised a plan where they leaked information to the Germans that General Patton was leading the D-Day invasion, and it was going to be in a totally different area. Mm -hmm. So what they did... They had inflatable trucks, tanks, planes, fake barracks. I mean, all these things built up in a totally different zone. And Patton was supposed to be the commander of these forces. It was a trick, big trick. And they ended up landing at Normandy. And Patton never even, he, he didn't really contribute to the D-Day landings because he, his, his contribution, I guess, was to be you know, uh, distraction, a distraction. Yeah. He Deterrent. was a distraction, which worked. The, the Germans were not prepared for the landings at Normandy because they expected it to happen somewhere else. Okay. Yeah. So sneaky, it's very, very sneaky. That's his crowning achievement. No, no, no. We're, no. Okay. No, I was going to say it's pretty passive. Yeah, it is pretty passive. When they land, when the third army got to France, They moved across northern France in the summer of 1944, and that campaign was marked by great initiative, ruthless drive, and disregard of most, at the time, modern military rules. Um, As the Germans' resistance in Normandy began to collapse, a pocket formed between advancing British and American forces. They They sort of started to surround the Germans, which would have been a perfect opportunity for them to set a trap and actually surround, I mean, thousands of German soldiers. And Patton wanted to encircle them. But 
he was ordered to stay put. And by the time they finally sealed the gap a few months later, which was in August, it was August 20th, thousands of Germans had escaped through the gap that the Allies left open, basically. So he wanted to circle, encircle them, take them all prisoner, or, or kill them, or, I mean, whatever was going to happen. And the commanders decided that that wasn't the plan, and they let a bunch of Germans escape. Hmm. In December of 1944, so we're from August through December, in December of 1944, the Germans mounted a massive surprise counterattack in the Ardennes Forest, which was, which was to be known later on as the Battle of the Bulge. The Germans encircled the 101st Airborne at Bastogne in Belgium. Patton was ordered to relieve the 101st Airborne. And this is where he becomes, like, legendary status. So his push to rescue the 101st Airborne, which they, if you ask anyone who knows 101st Airborne history, they didn't believe they needed to be rescued. Sure. Uh, they felt like they were doing fine. They weren't, but they, that's what they say. His astonishing speed at which he was able to cover ground and push through the German resistance was just crazy. I mean, within less than a month, he was able to reach the 101st Airborne and relieve them. So beginning of December was when the German counteroffensive started. December 26th, they, Patton had reached the 101st Airborne. So after that, Patton then pushed, continued to push the Germans back to the German border in January of 1945. He wasn't allowed to continue. He thought he could reach Berlin, but the Allied commanders didn't want him to keep pushing to Berlin because it was already decided that the Russians were going to capture Berlin. It was some political agreement that was made, and a lot of people wonder if Patton had secured Berlin first, if maybe the Cold War would have gone differently, because it wouldn't have been the Russians there first deciding all the moves that happened after that. Hmm. So I, th I thought that one was interesting. Yeah. Um, on March 1st, Patton's Third Army took the city of Trier, which was one of the most famous exchanges of World War II, Patton received a message ordering him to bypass the city because it would take four divisions to capture it. Patton responded, this is after he had already taken it, he responded, have already taken Trier with two divisions. Do you want me to give it back? <laughs> Rubbing it in their face a little bit. Uh, over the yeah, next pretty, 10 days... pretty cocky. He's, yeah, he was a cocky son of a bitch. Over the next 10 days, the 3rd Army cleared the entire region north of the Moselle River, which trapped thousands of Germans, and the 3rd and 7th Army ended up taking approximately 100,000 prisoners. If anyone's ever seen the show Band of Brothers, there's a scene where there's a line of prisoners walking. There's thousands and thousands of them. There, that's results of okay. Patton's Army Group and the 7th Army Group doing that. Hmm. So Patton's 3rd Army had only fought for nine months. They captured 80,000 square miles of territory. They suffered 137,000 casualties, but inflicted roughly 10 times that amount on the enemy. Wow. George Patton died on December 9th, 1945, from injuries sustained in an automobile accident. Now, the war was essentially over at that point, and he was what was known as the military governor of Bavaria, I think it was his title. The rumor says that he what year it was, was this? 1945. Oh wow! So the okay. war was over. The Germans had surrendered. The war was done, and at least in Europe, 
Patton wanted to continue to push in Japan. Ultimately, the the United States military made him this military governor, which he basically said was his career. I mean, it was the death of his career. Hmm. And he died shortly after that. The rumor is that it was either the, the United States government or the Russian government that hired someone to assassinate him because he was going to be too much trouble to, to handle, essentially. I look at it like the war was over and Patton was a warrior. He was 60 years old and there was no war left for him to fight. It, was, it seems kind of fitting that, you know, he, he had served his purpose, kind of. But yeah, so right after the war was over, and it, he received, it was like a slow speed car accident, but he received really bad injuries, and he was, he died, he like lived for about 12 more days, and then died after being in immense pain. They don't build cars back then like they do now, so. Well, no seatbelts, that's for sure. <laughs> no seatbelts. Um, Patton was brash, he was aggressive, he lacked political tact, and he had a tendency to look down upon racial minorities. But he was entirely unforgettable. He dressed impeccably in a colorful uniform, knee-high boots that were always highly polished, and sported ivory-handled revolvers. He demanded perfection from himself and from his soldiers in every way. He made his soldiers shave every day. You know, they always had to be in tip-top dress uniform, even when they were going to combat. So he, cool, he demanded cool. the best out of, out of his men. Yeah. So here's the question. Why is any of this important? Why should we care? George Patton was a warrior, plain and simple. He didn't know how to play defense, and he lacked tact in dealing with other people. He often lacked empathy and made examples of those who appeared cowardly. Patton was a great example of being hyper-aggressive, and there are times in our lives where we got to be hyper-aggressive with our life goals, with sporting events, or fitness goals. Times where you have to attack your sword. And as warriors, we must also know when to use tact and make the most of our shield. Patton didn't know how to use that. He had no shield. He was, he was the berserker with a two-handed sword. He had big hands that grabbed your balls. Yeah, right, and kick you in the ass. That's right. Warriors must know when to show empathy and compassion. We must know the difference between kindness and weakness. So pause for a second and take stock of your life and your decisions up to this point. What kind of action do you need to take to achieve your version of excellence, your version of victory? You've got to create a battle plan to take action and push forward with everything you have. And that's going to look different for everybody. That's what Patton was about. He was all about moving forward. He was always on the offensive. He, it led him to be one of the, at least the greatest generals of World War II, if not maybe the, one of the greatest generals in you know, recorded human history yeah i mean if you like military victories and strategies and shit he's he's one of the he's that dude right mm -hmm. i have this one story about Patton. i don't know if it's true i might be making it up it might be someone else yeah, mom told me once someone from our family worked in uh something with Patton, same little group battalion mm -hmm. i don't yeah. know i don't know i might be making this up he like was about to come up on a he was driving their little army jeep truck Mm -hmm. And they were about to come up on, it was all dirt, mud, and they were coming up on like a, a water, you know? Like a bridge? Mud, not, bri not bridge. There was no bridge over this like giant puddle of just mess, Oh, right? okay. 
So it's just right. like we think wartime mess road is supposed to be there, but it's all water now. Right. It was like not a huge lake, but it was too much for that he thought to drive through. So they like he like made all his men get out and like build and erect a bridge <laughs> like right on the spot so he could drive his little Jeep across it. Yeah. They, I can't and, remember they made out of wood or like they just threw tarps over it or something. I don't know. I think my yeah. mom told me that. I could be making it up. That sounds like something he would do. There are many stories similar to that, one of which, I mean, it was, it was proven that it happened. So there were, they were marching over a bridge, and there was a, a cart, like a, just a civilian cart with mules, and they were getting strafed by bombers. And the mules, the mules wouldn't move. Yeah, the mule, like, they were just walking, and the, the uh-huh. military was trying to get across the bridge, but they couldn't because the mules were walking. Happy ending. Sure. <laughs> the mules are blocking the way. So Patton ordered his, well, he didn't order anybody. He did it himself. He shot the mules, and he ordered his men to push them off the bridge, which they did. Um, and, the, and then the, they kept moving. But they were under fire. I mean, stuff like that, were, things were like that were reported all the time. It was reported that he ordered his men to mow down groups of prisoners, which he was acquitted of that. There was no, allegedly no wrongdoing. And it was the soldiers' own decision to do whatever they did. Um, but he had two instances, too, where he'd go to military hospitals and uh, try to comfort some of the wounded men. And he encountered twice this happened. He encountered men who were suffering what we would look at now as like PTSD-type symptoms. Yeah. And, you know, he went in there after he had seen all these men who had been wounded, shot, arms blown off, whatever. And this guy's sitting there shaking and cowering, and he asked what's wrong with him. He said, I just can't take it, sir. And Patton, like, picked him up and slapped him with his glove and said, "If you know, I'll either shoot you here myself or you're going to the front right now. That's part of when I talk about he lacked empathy and he was really harsh on anything he viewed as cowardice. It's crazy to me how impactful he was, and I think, I don't know if he would have made it in this day and age. I don't think he would have. No. But you got to think of, I mean, he won, he helped us win two world wars, yeah. which it's, it's, that, that's what, that's, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely <laughs> wouldn't have made it today. Or he would have, he would have uh, adapted and overcame. He would have become president. <laughs> Fuck. Maybe. Yeah. Very polarizing figure. Yeah. Because for his purpose, like you said, his purpose, his purpose was what it was. Yeah. And then you could probably bring up a lot of other things that were not great, but for the purpose of what he, what he was, I guess, he, yeah, we won the war, right? And we won the war. He claimed to be, I mean, he was extremely spiritual, but like I said, he was also pretty racist. Um, he, had, yeah. he had black soldiers who served underneath him, um, and he uh, respected their skill in battle, and he actually awarded them with a lot of, it was uh, uh, African-American tank battalion. But he also made a lot of statements about how racial minorities just weren't as good. They just weren't as good at fighting. And, I mean, it's, ha- it's hard because that was sort of the time they lived in. And like I said, that's why those were some of his biggest downfalls. He had no empathy. He had no compassion. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of a racist, <laughs> honestly. But uh, he yeah. got us through. That's why I said I think it was fitting that he sort of passed away when he did because he got us through two world wars, you know? Yeah. And then his purpose was served. Probably would have been a major pain in the ass if he 
on the round. Oh yeah. Well, that's why people think he was allegedly killed, assassinated. Yeah. yeah. You ever hear about the uh, the soccer game? Was that World War Two? Uh, you mentioned like December battle. Remember that soccer game? The Germans and everybody like ceased fire and had that soccer game. I well, I know in World War One there was like a brief ceasefire on Christmas Eve. Yeah, yeah, that was it. I think that was it. it was, yeah, that, that's like a. I don't think that was. I don't know about a soccer game, but I do know that they can. Like, they hung out together and drank yeah. and made merry on one yeah. night, and then proceeded to, you know, start shooting each other the next day. But that brief moment of humanity is pretty cool. Yeah, there's your bong again. At the end of the day, they were all just nineteen-year-old kids, you know. They're all and doing what they thought was right. Yeah. Sure. So what else can you do in the moment? That's yeah. Times were a lot different then too. It's uh like you were you were made to hate the your enemy, you know what I mean? You didn't know anything about them. They were probably just like you. But I you think were it's made... very similar. Yeah. In that respect, if you want to say that. Yeah. Kind of made to hate our enemies that are just domestic. Right. No. That's why like propaganda was so powerful back then because you'd make the Japanese, the Germans look less yeah. than human, you know, and mm-hmm. it yeah, worked okay. most of the time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean they're so far away and out of sight, out of mind that you just believe what's but you could say the same thing about today too. Sure. We tend to stick in communities that we agree with, right? So then communities that differ, that they become polarizing because we're not actually around them when in fact we actually probably share a lot more commonalities and differences. We just aren't around each other. Like, you know, it's, it's very interesting, especially if you're someone that somehow ends up in a place that, that, you, that is most, mostly a, of a party that you don't agree with. Mm. And you really don't get the sense of that when you're around these people. It makes you realize, okay, well, this is all just propaganda. You know, yeah. All the big, big uh, news stations and hot takes and, and headlines and clickbaits and that's well what this is but it's like i mean i i tend to be so moderate that it's irrelevant but i guess and go both ways but if you live somewhere in a very conservative area these are some of the best people i've ever known right and it's not based off because they're conservatives just good people and likewise in the other way i Mm -hmm. go to san francisco tends to lean very hard one way still great people are there i've met a lot of people that are awesome from san francisco um so I, didn't, I think it's the same. I think propaganda runs our life. And I think that we get so used to where we are in the little bubble that we live in. So when you go to it, and I know that I have to fight this all the time. When I go to a more inner city area, I tend to feel things that it's like somebody maybe told you to feel like it's not safe there or it's not this or whatever because it's unknown or you're not used to it. But for other people, that's just home. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I think we have to actively fight against that. Otherwise, we get caught in that, that narrative of these people who are just different from me. They're the same. They're the same, same. Just different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really easy, though, to be like, man, I'm not going to Southside Grand Rapids because that's not safe. And it's and I don't, you know what I mean? So that's yeah. I find that I find that interesting. I I actively have to fight that narrative in my head when i go to new places totally it's just our conditioning like how you grow up and and where you grow up and who you grow up with yeah Patton. didn't expect you to talk about Patton. i 
I was the more I looked into Patton, the more I was like, why why is this a guy that people should hear about? And I I think that it's important to hear about these people from history, even if they weren't the shining example of, you know, human progress or some beautiful thing or whatever, because that it's still part of history and it still happened, and we shouldn't yeah. forget that these things that these things happened. Yeah, and we can learn from that stuff. Yeah, learn from it. Totally, totally agree. I mean, yeah, I mean. World War One, World War Two. World War One is horrible, right? I mean, guys charging like millions of guys charging over the you know no man's land, getting mowed down by machine yeah, guns. Yeah, I mean, yeah. First use of machine guns and tanks, like you said, and and yeah. chemical warfare is yeah, it was brutal. And and so on top yeah, of that, all the political stuff too. World War One sure. was a political nightmare. Sure, we have to talk about those things for sure. Mm. So bones, yeah. Can you tell uh, our fine people? What they need to do for us. They gotta pay a fee for us. You're gonna log on to your iTunes and uh you're gonna drink your water first. Make sure it's Primo. We're brought to you by Primo Water and <laughs> there's no discount codes here. You just go to your local Home Depot, pick up a couple gallons, five gallon jugs of Primo, and you put that down your pipe and you drink it. Primo water. It's water. <laughs> Next, once you do that. You're going to grab your phone. You're going to go to iTunes. You're going to scroll down to the Weekly Warrior podcast. I'm sure it's in your favorites and you get updated. You're going to click on it. You're going to click on five stars because you think that uh, we deserve it. And you're, you can leave a message or don't leave a message. I don't care. Just leave a five-star review We like the messages, though. On iTunes. The messages are good. Yeah, we'll post yeah. it on our Instagram and make you feel good about yourself. It'd make us feel good. helps us reach new people. And we'd really, really, actually, legitimately appreciate it. We got one last night, actually. Uh, someone's, I don't know who it was. Oh, nice. It was a nickname of some sort. It was like Terminator or something. <laughs> left left us a review. Uh, brought to you by Sunshine. We're brought to you by Legos. Yeah, Lego. brought to you by Legos. Um, we're going to have our own Lego set, actually. Did you hear about that? Yeah, the Weekly Warrior podcast set. Yeah, yeah. It's that all would actually be a just... sick set. It's just us sitting at desks. Yeah, recording at desks. Yeah, that would be sick. Mm-hmm. Like in an yeah. office? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I'd buy that. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I think we're brought to you by Good Hygiene as well, guys. So, um, I hope you're going to edit most of this out. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. Are we, are we done? Yeah, Should let's wrap roll, it up. Roll the credits. Let's, let's, give, the, let's give the ending. You, you have an outro prepared? Well, my closing thoughts I already shared, but I was going to do the classic. Okay. We appreciate all of you for being here and listening to this episode of the Weekly Warrior Podcast. And until next week, for Bones and Connor, we wish you the best, and we hope that you discover your warrior within.